All right, welcome to the podcast. We're back here with uh, Dr. Austin Baraki. Uh, Austin is down in San Antonio right now. He's a starting strength coach. And he has written several very good articles for us on the website. And uh, I know you've read them all. And uh, we appreciate his cut through the bullshit approach. It comports well with uh, uh, our general approach to most things here at Starting Strength and the Asgard Company. Austin, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. Uh, well, I think probably uh, your primary value to this organization is, is, is not just your uh, conventional credential chops, it is the fact that you uh, uh, don't brook uh, foolishness um, very well. The, the recent article that uh, Austin wrote to us was, was on the specific topic of pain. But uh, tangentially, the article dealt with the tendency of lots of people in all of the uh, the medical and quasi-medical allied health provisions to uh, deal with, uh, shall we say, non-factual bases for treatment and diagnosis. I'd say that's probably an accurate description. So... Uh, I deal in magic a lot of times. Yeah, magic, uh, you know, heavily uh, confirmation bias-oriented. Uh, 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 some of the uh, some of the uh, the allied health professions like uh, homeopathy are not even worth discussing, but uh, uh, because that's it's just such transparent bullshit. But uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of silly bullshit out there that's being charged for. Charge a lot of money for it. And uh, I think we ought to discuss that because uh, of the fact that uh, healthcare is so damned expensive these days. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, our government has seen fit to uh, make everything, uh, it, for the past 40 or 50 years, they've seen fit to make everything hideously expensive with their control of what was at one time a free market. Uh, with competition and uh, and normally functioning payment incentives, and uh, that's all gone. It's been gone for quite some time. It's been gone since the uh, inception of Medicare, and since the government started uh, cultivating its ability to price goods and services in the medical profession. And uh, the past five or six years has seen. Uh, um, what was left of that pretty much go down the toilet. In fact, it's interesting to me that the, the fee-for-service uh, end of the medical profession still uh, functions pretty well. Boob jobs, uh, <laughs> you know, cosmetic dentistry, things like this. Uh, the market seems to actually be working there, but everywhere else, it is a total giant catastrophic mess yeah. and as a result of people's frustration with this uh, I think that a lot of people are beginning to explore alternative methods 
some of which work in certain circumstances and some of which don't work at all. Yeah, I think the topics you bring up could probably fill several more podcasts worth of information. Um, well, Nick's got lots of batteries. Yeah, the, the, um, that last thing you mentioned there about people kind of getting desperate brings me to something that just happened to me earlier today. I was in clinic seeing a patient and uh, he was he was a elderly guy, I think in his 80s or so. His son brought him in and he was, used to weigh something like 300 pounds about 10 years ago and was pre-diabetic and getting to diabetes was about to start on all these typical medications that we put our diabetics on and his son kind of took charge of the situation, um, helped his dad out, lost, lost, helped him lose about 100 pounds, got him off a bunch of medications and he comes to see me today and by the end of the appointment, he says, "It's real refreshing to uh, it's real refreshing to meet a doctor who, you know, believes in nutrition." I was like, "Is there someone who doesn't believe in it?" I mean, there's plenty out there who don't. You know, it's like, how can you not believe in such a thing like believe that? Believe in food. So yeah. Anyway, I've heard. You know, I've heard it exists. Yes, it is. It is a thing that is uh, that has been said out there. Yeah. So, but I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about homeopathy as an example of transparent bullshit and I would agree that it is but the word that you used to describe it as being transparent was kind of interesting and it made me think that well it does it, it makes a couple of assumptions I am aware of that in retrospect yeah. I probably should not have said it's transparent to everyone well that that's what made me think is you could right. probably you could probably distribute all these various kind of sorts of healthcare that you describe along a spectrum of transparency from you know where where you have the absolute most transparent BS to what is I guess more translucent and more opaque and so <laughs> um, you you right. know and and the degree to which you perceive it as transparent to you would depend on presumably your prior education level your ability to think critically your baseline skepticism your understanding of basic principles of human physiology etc so to anyone with basic understanding of these things and you know as as I appreciate that you've recommended before for starting strength coaches to, you know, first earn a degree in a hard science before they try to earn the credential because it just helps you think. Right. But, you know, you go and you tell somebody with any reasonable degree of education, you say, here's a homeopathic medication. I've taken the thing that ails you and I've diluted it 10 trillion times to the point of non-existence, that makes it the most potent thing and the water that it's diluted in has this memory of something that's going to cure you. So to somebody with a reasonable degree of education, that's going to be completely transparent. To right? anyone who's had high school chemistry, yeah, that should be completely transparent. But And then you could take it kind of up the chain and let's say more conventional alternative medicine from that. That's like super fringe, right? Yeah. You can get to, you can get to the next levels up of commonly more commonly practiced kind of alternative medicine some of the ones that I kind of alluded to in in the last article I wrote where there's plenty of pseudoscientific practices in some of the more peripheral ones like chiropractic and, and massage therapy and things like that and I alluded to them and of course not to say that all of these fields are all bad all the time but there's a lot of pseudoscience in them there's a lot yeah. of stuff that is um, is is demonstrably false as has been shown false, and yet the practitioners who have become thoroughly invested in their profession for obvious reasons, um, they're going to be naturally resistant to any kind of evidence against their claims, their recommendations, their treatment modalities, things like that. And so it takes a different, a higher degree of skepticism, critical thinking, um, and a higher understanding of 
physiology, chemistry, um, human anatomy, things like that, to recognize that which is not, it, it, it's just implausible enough that you can kind of get your foot in the door in terms of skepticism and then kind of go down that road to say, you know, maybe everything that ails me isn't due to one of my vertebrae being out of alignment or something like that. Right. You know? Maybe maybe pancreatic cancer is not curable by back adjustment. Yeah. And, uh, well, let me ask you a question. And I, 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 I don't know this for sure, but I am aware of the fact that most well, I don't know about most, but lots and lots of nursing schools uh, up until apparently just recently are still teaching uh, this, this meridian-based, uh, what, what, what is, uh, you know, the, the power meridians flowing sure. up and down the spine, and that you're interrupting those with your hands and all this other shit. Is that still, what is that called, and is it still being taught in what would have to be considered uh, a mainstream allied healthcare profession program. Yeah, so, so the, the, the Meridian idea kind of delves into the land of, of acupuncture and, uh, and energy medicine is kind of yes. what it's been described as. And, and I didn't delve into that in some of my articles on, per, on the, the last one on purpose because that one was more focused on structural theories of pain, not right. magical energy theories of pain. Right. And so there's these, you know, these ideas that there are, you know, meridians throughout your body, like certain axes that have been determined by the ancient Chinese, who knows how, um, and or based on what evidence. And if you apply pressure or insert needles or, or wave, wave your hands wave your around, hands, that, that's Reiki, I believe is yeah. what it's called, where you wave your hands over somebody, that it can influence these meridians or same thing with the fascia you know, believers who think that fascia controls every physiologic function in your body, um, that, that they just buy, they, 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 they're looking for the one true cause of all disease, which is the problem. There is no one true cause of all disease. And they, and they find, and they think that, you know, it's from my chakras being out of alignment or some, right. some crap like that. And they say, that's the one true cause. And, and I trace everything back to that. And that means that if I am the guru in that method, then I am the specialist who can treat every disease in existence. What we're dealing with is an ex extremely complex physiologic system uh, in which virtually every symptom is multifactorial. Mm -hmm. It does not lend itself well to a one-size-fits-all cause or cure because that's not how the systems work. It just, it's not how the systems work. Uh, Lots and lots of things can be wrong all at the same time, amazingly enough. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that there's, you know, uh, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, basically. People tend to overestimate their competence at something, and that applies to basically everyone in existence, right? right. But these people who buy into these things, they have such inadequate training that it leaves them unable to perform the simple task of developing a thorough and comprehensive differential diagnosis for something that they can think critically about the patient, how they're presenting, and work their way down the possibilities and actually have objective evidence to rule in or rule out certain things. Right. If, every, if the only tool you possess is a hammer, all problems look like a nail. Yeah. Uh, stated that, succinctly. That problem, in addition, you know, I, it, particularly in that last article I wrote, I didn't really hold back even against my own profession, even against MDs. I. Right. Rip the typical practice as it comes to pain that we'll talk about maybe a little later. But, but 
when the the idea of when you have a when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Even reaches conventional MD medicine, as does some of this. Um, I mean, there's there's it it it's hard hard to call it right pseudoscience because I think that that is too broad of a category to include that in some of the magic based things. But all the time, there's stuff being refuted. Um, there's there's things that we thought before that we learn are wrong, and it requires even people within our own profession, even among the quote-unquote evidence-based practitioners, MDs, to look at something and say, you know, now, based on what we know now, that really isn't right. It really isn't even plausible that it's right, and here's why. And here's how we're going to change our practice based on that. Right. And some people do that, and some people don't. And some people stick with the hammer and nail theory. And that comes up a lot in pain when I've listened to your podcast with Mac that came out today, and we're talking about, you know, just... Everybody who comes in with back pain, fortunately, surgeons are coming around and being real selective with their with the patients that they operate on. Some for the reasons that they want to make sure they have good outcomes in those patients, mm -hmm. but that wasn't always the case. You know, a lot of times surgeons and interventional uh, interventional physicians, particularly in a fee for service type practice model, and particularly yeah, particularly in a middle to small market yeah. situation where they tend to you know, need the business. Yep, exactly. And so even at that level, it takes some skepticism, you know. And so when I have patients that come in um, to see me and they're questioning my, you know, my plan for the patient or something, I don't feel insulted or something. I say, well, let me see if I can explain it to you in a way that makes sense that you'll buy into the plan. And if you still think it's BS, then, you know, that's kind of on you. But it, it forces me to think about what I'm doing, too, so that I don't get to a point Certainly. that say, wait a second, that is actually not plausible or that's not addressing the cause of the problem or what if, what if there's something else going on or something like that. And that's a degree of, you know, people stepping back and thinking about what they're doing that not every type of practitioner does. Well, and it's a good thing that, that you occasionally run into a patient that's willing to force you to come to them mm -hmm. with a better explanation than you've previously offered. And, and I see a tendency in a lot of physicians to just do a quick medical history, and the first thing they detect that sounds like something that confirms their, their already existing bias about what they're going to diagnose, they seize upon. You know, I, I'm sure you've run into this several times. I, I've seen it a lot. Yeah, it's and, a lesson, uh, that, it's, it's a lesson oh. that I think everyone in, in, in residency, we all, we all get burned by it at some point, where you latch on to your first diagnosis and you turn out to be horribly wrong, and then Hopefully, you learn from it and realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't, you know, buy into the first diagnosis that I think of so hard next time. <laughs> you know? Hey, your knees are hurting. Well, didn't you say you're a weightlifter? You're not doing yeah. squats, are you? Has to be. Oh, squats. Well, it's obviously what it is. Yeah. It's obviously yeah. what it is. And it's no, it's not obvious that that's it at all. And uh, uh, when you find a physician behaving in this way, um, <sighs> I don't, I don't know if Austin would agree with me or not, but I would get up <laughs> off the table, put my shirt back on, and leave. And I certainly as hell would not pay the bill. Because that's, you know, look, I, I'm not paying you to not think. I'm paying you to think. Uh, I'm paying you for your experience and your education, and you're not using it. And so I'm not going to pay that. So I, that's, but... But, you know, it happens all the time. 
-hmm. happens all the time. I think I've mentioned our chiropractor friend up the road here in Wichita Falls that uh, everybody apparently suffers from micro trauma that's accumulated into scar tissue and that he has to break up by producing a hematoma on the air. No, I mean a hematoma. No, Austin, I mean <laughs> the dinner plate sized black bruises. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. exactly what I'm talking about. So and that's his one true cause that he has to That's his hammer. Up. Yeah. That's his and, hammer and, and this, everything this, is a nail, man. This, this concept also, you know, it, it, it extends, and I kind of alluded to this back in one of the first articles I wrote, diagnosing silly bullshit and and it extends and it's pervasive even more so or at least just as much you know in in the strength and conditioning kind of fitness industry all this that we that we also deal in and so i see it in both both of my worlds that i kind of operate in and um it's it, it it's unfortunate because the same process kind of happens somebody builds themselves up to be a guru in some sort of you know regarding some sort of pathology some sort of situation um, some sort of modality. They're they're the the mobility guru, or they're the you know whatever fascia guru, this that the other, the functional guru. I don't know. And so then once they've once they've once they've taken that first step and established themselves, they can make everything up. They can just make stuff up, and people will eat it up. They do every single day. We see it all the time. I think me and me and Bo and and, and Dr. Bean. We share stuff among ourselves pretty frequently, um, you know that we that we find you know across the internet. From our, one of our favorites is the functional patterns guy. This this guy is just a he's a maladjusted, you know, real real angry little man, and uh, and he's uh, he he he's, seems to be the most angry at everyone who has ignored him for so long because he's been so thoroughly right about everything for years about how you know we are so we've departed from our evolutionary roots of how we should move and fixing our posture with weird exercises and cable work while you're standing on a ball and stuff like that and he posts these videos with long detailed buzzword filled explanations that again to someone with a little bit less critical thinking ability a little bit less education a little bit less understanding of physiology neuromuscular function um, anatomical attachments, uh, training, things like that, they'll eat it up. They'll say, man, this guy is brilliant. He's using these giant words. and Giant you know, words that I haven't heard before. It's so impressive. And to everyone else... He must you be know, smarter than me. Yeah. But to anyone who can think and who can understand training and things like that, the, the, the idea of strength training being developing force or flexibility training, or whatever goal or whatever physical characteristic you're trying to train, you just look at what he's doing and it's like, it, it, it boggles you. It makes absolutely no sense. And well, that's then, what I think frustrates him the most. <laughs> then let's address the challenge that I can hear. I hear it now. <laughs> you guys watching this podcast, I hear you saying, but Ripito, you say that everything is improved with your hammer, which is barbell training. Your hammer is barbell training, and to you, everything looks like weakness, right? Uh, Austin, are we full of shit too? I think we get that counter argument a lot. A lot. We, a we lot. see it all the time. Especially you know, on YouTube comments. It's, and, and, and a lot of the counter argument not only revolves around that idea that we're absolutist or dogmatic in, in what we do, 
but also kind of the, the line that you've alluded to before that there are as many types of strength as there are people, right? <laughs> and so, so I guess in, in this respect, we are, uh, we are followers of the one physics model. Yes. Right? The, uh, the, our physical analysis is, uh, is pretty dogmatic. Yeah. You know, gravity because being what it is and force being what it is and all this, all this sort of thing. There aren't two types of force. There aren't two types of gravity. There aren't several types of, there's no such thing as useful gravity or useful force. There is only force and gravity. And the way in which we interact with our environment is pretty much analyzable. And, uh, you know, I don't think that analysis is optional. I don't think we're, uh, uh, I don't think we're dealing in dogma here. I think we're dealing in analysis. How does, how does our approach differ from the chiropractor that thinks that uh, pancreatic cancer is cured by spinal adjustment? So here's, here's, here's an idea on that, is that, first of all, we don't say that strength is going to fix everything under the world, right? I mean, that's, no. that's not really... No, strength will that, not that fix is, pancreatic not, cancer. Right, yeah, we're not going to cure cancer by having you lift. But something I've talked about in a couple of the articles is the idea of... Um, inter-rater reliability. And it's a super, super important concept. And the idea is that if you present to a certain practitioner with a certain problem and they come up with a diagnosis of what's causing your problem, if you had gone to another practitioner, whether in the same field, uh, well, let's say you went to someone else in the same field, Ideally, they come up with the same diagnosis, right? Because if that's actually your problem, they should hopefully right. come up with the same or, diagnosis. Or at least close to it. Or at least close. Clo close to it. Or if you go to someone in a different field, hopefully they recognize that, hey, my scope of practice does, this, this isn't where the problem lies. So I can't help you. Let me send you to someone else, right? Yes. That, unfortunately, doesn't happen among these fields that we've been talking about before, right? So um, you go with... The, the, the example that I've used in medicine, at least, is you show up to the ER with chest pain. I would hope that the majority of ER doctors, and I believe they do, would all be able to tell you that you were having a heart attack if you were having one, the majority of the time. It would be very unfortunate if you were going to the ER with a heart attack. You saw one ER doctor, he told you, yeah, you're having a heart attack. You saw a different ER doctor, he said, actually, uh, this chest esophageal pain is coming from heartburn. You saw another one, he said, uh, I think one of your ribs is broken. You see another one, he says, oh, you have a collapsed lung, and I have the way to fix it, so you should pay me to fix it, right? And that's what goes on in these other fields. You see some, one person who tells you it's your fascia, one person who tells you it's a muscle knot, one person who tells you it's a mobility restriction, one person who tells you whatever their pet theory is, right? And then the difference between all of that and what we do is that you put some weight on the bar, you teach the person to deadlift, and they can deadlift it or they can't. Right, and so they're either weak or they're strong. Not to say that there's categorical differentiation between the two, but you go to you take one person and you tend them to all 100 different starting strength coaches around the country. They're going to get to the same starting point with you. They're going to find your starting weights on the first day, and they're all going to be the same because it's what we do. We diagnose where you are now, and we take you from here to here, and that's our treatment plan. And it's going to get you stronger every time. 
So that's what's consistent among our practice, and that's what's different between our practice and all the various gurus out there who can make stuff up and see what they want to see, treat what they want to treat, and because you might have believed in what they were doing, you say, oh yeah, that felt really good, that felt great, I'm going to, you know, now I'm a believer in this method too. And then there goes your confirmation bias. But I hear you, I hear you again, you're saying, but... Ripito, why does everybody need to be stronger? Why do you think barbell training is the only way to get stronger? Why is barbell training your hammer? We actually just dealt with a question like this on the Starting Strength Facebook group yesterday, I believe. Someone said, "You don't you know that, I mean, it, I, I don't agree that there's only one way to get strong. And... I said, well, no one here is saying there's only one way to get strong. We never claimed there's only one way to get strong. Um, but based on our practice, based on anatomy, physiology, the principles of training, uh, the trainability of the barbell movements, we've found through analysis and through practice that it works better. And that's why we recommend it. And so that's why it's become our hammer, because we objectively have seen and can analyze and realize that, hey, if I LP someone using a barbell with fives and add five pounds at a time, and I compare that to, on the bench press, for example, and I compare that to someone doing cable crossovers for tens or twelves or twenty-fives and add whatever arbitrary amount of weight I can, like we talked about in that recent, recent, hmm. recent paper, one works better than the other 100% of the time. 100% of the time. This, this is the critical thing to understand is that if you, if we can get you to just understand that stronger is better, especially if you are not strong, then the question becomes, what is the most efficient way to get stronger? And I'll stand by our analysis. And uh, I think that uh, the analysis and the experience of decades, decades, centuries of accumulated experience within the ranks of the starting strength coach uh, organization, uh, we can conclusively demonstrate that this is not, boys and girls, silly bullshit. Okay. Austin, thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll continue this discussion. And you look for us on the next podcast where we will talk more with Dr. Baraki about things like this. Thanks for being with us. Bye.